Good day. Well, we're here. You know, one of the great things about my life right now is that these lights are so bright, I can imagine this room was full, and I wouldn't know the difference. I, I see like, like, like foreheads here and there, and that's about it. And uh, so as far as I'm concerned, this room is full. It's full of God, full of God's people. You guys glad to be here today? Now, there'll be others, other people, they'll come at 1130 because they don't have the faith that you guys do. And uh, they're watching you right now going, hey, it's like, hey, just us and them, you know, unity of the body of Christ. Thanks, Pastor Jim. So check in on Facebook, welcome live stream. Today we're starting a uh, uh, three, maybe four week now series, uh, and we're going to get back to some basics. Um, I, I love one of the things that we, I was, I was talking to a good friend of mine, growing friend, and he's from a different faith tradition and we were comparing, like, where his faith traditions have led him and where my faith traditions have led me. And one of the great things that came out of that, I said, Charles, you know, one of the things we should probably do on a regular basis is not just look at what we did last Sunday, but look what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. Look, look what the book of Acts, you know, the apostles did early on because a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy can really become something that, that the original never was. Does this make sense? So one of the great things we have is Scripture. Like, we have a, a duly recorded inspired by God history of what they didn't know what to do. This is what they did as the Spirit led them. And I think, I think that, that the basic principles of the book of Acts are still in force. I think human nature, I think small groups, large group meetings, caring for the poor and widows, none of that's passed away. Maybe, maybe technology helps us to do it differently. Maybe automobiles make it a little bit easier to come together. Maybe, you know, the small groups are, you know, 20 or 30 now versus maybe there were five or six people back then. Oh, that was BC. That was before birth control. So maybe there was 20 or 30 back then. I don't know. You you know, but I, but I, I know that the dynamics of God's church remain the same. And so getting back to that, not, now where did your faith traditions of 2,000 years of, you know, get you? And where did my faith traditions of 2,000 years get me? It's like, where, where was Jesus 2,000 years ago and how can we find him there today? Does that make sense? So we're going to take a look at what God means when he says church. When he says church, what is he talking about? And, and I'm going to start the story this morning by the, the, the day that Peter, the apostle Peter, did his confession of faith. And Jesus starts this way. He says, who do men say that I am? And they say, well, you know, some say you're, <coughs> you're you know, a prophet. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say, he goes, okay, those are the some says. What do you say? Who do you say I am? And Peter, being kind of the mouthpiece, the first person to blurt something out without thinking. How many guys know some people don't know what they're thinking until they hear themselves say it? I said, you know, what do you think of this? You go, I don't know, let me think about it. It's like, well, why are you quiet? She goes, because I'm thinking about it. It's like, it doesn't work that way in my head. I don't know what I'm thinking until I say it. And, it. and it's a good thing most of the time. Dina is always worth listening to because she thinks before she speaks. But I think with my mouth open. And so Peter, who thinks, I'm a lot like the apostles. Amen. Everybody say amen. Right. Yeah, that's a nice way to put that. And uh, he says, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one prophesied by Isaiah, by Joel, you know, by Jeremiah, you, you're, you're the one prophesied I mean, from, from the book of Genesis that's going to crush the serpent's head. You are the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And almost like, huh, I didn't know I said that until I said it. I heard myself say it. And, and here comes Jesus. goes, blessed are you, Peter, son of Jonas, you know, because God showed you this. This wasn't man saying, now everybody repeat after me, Jesus is God, Jesus the Messiah. Like, no, they, they came out of you because the Father put it in you. And then he looks at me and says this. He goes, and I call you from this day. You're not Simon anymore. It's his name. Because you'll be Peter, Cephas. You'll be um, Petros. You'll, in the original language, it means like a pebble, like a rock. He says, and on this rock, Petra, this larger, this, like, it can be, mean cliff. It can mean boulder, but it's substantial, unmovable. On this rock. So your name is Pebbles, but on Bam Bam, I will build my church. Does that make sense? You guys still here? Okay. So what he's saying is this. 
you know, you, you are um, a cornerstone in this thing. You're a big deal. But I'm not building my church on you. I'm building my church on what you just said. The revelation of who I am is the cornerstone of my church. And anyone who wants to be promoted from pebbles to bam, bam, this, this is the way. Like once you recognize who I am on the rock of the revelation of who I am, I will, and here's the promise, build my church. Now we are standing on a promise that came straight from the heart and the lips of Jesus. And, and I love this statement. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. Look at that, I will build my church. I will build my church. As a pastor and, and with the, the bigger is better mindset that has really crept in over the last 30 years to, to Christianity, I, I'm comforted by those words. I'm comforted that Jesus has promised to take personal responsibility for the construction of, of his people. You still here? So it isn't on me to come up with, okay, we had lions last year for Easter, so we need elephants this year. Okay, we had, we had tigers last year, so we need, like, dragons for the 4th of July next year. The dragons will light off the fireworks, and it's got to be bigger because bigger is always better. I'm, I'm relieved to know that Jesus, when he says church, he, what he calls church, he promises to build personally. There's a personal commitment made to each of us. So the promise Jesus makes to Peter, he's going to build his church, and the church here is the word ecclesia. And we're going to get into some language stuff. Can you guys handle a little bit like a 202 level class versus a 101? Can you guys do that today? Because you guys are the chosen frozen. I'm going to trust you with this, okay? So when Jesus says, I will build my church, it's the word ecclesia. Now, an ecclesia is those who have been called out of. So I said, hey, everybody, we're going to meet in the parking lot. Follow me. Or I'm out in the parking lot. I said, guys, come on out here. Everyone who stood up to gather in another location, rallying on the person who called them, would be known as an ecclesia. So when Jesus says, I will build my church, understand this. You probably do. He wasn't meaning steeples. There was no organs involved. There was no hymnals. There was no offering plates. There was no communion cups. When he said, the ecclesia, I will build a gathering of people who have been called out. I, I will gather people. When Jesus says church, when he says ecclesia, he means what? He means people. Say it with me. He means, okay, and it's people. It's a, it's a certain people. It's people who have heard a voice, who have responded with their will to move from where they were to where he is. Just that simple. A church is anywhere two or more gathered together in the name of Jesus Christ who recognize him as Messiah. He says, I will be in the midst of all of that. I will not miss that. So Ecclesia, uh, unfortunately, when it's translated into other languages, out of the original languages, it's, it's because the German uh, dialect was the first, the Reformation 500 years ago, Martin Luther. Let's get the Bible, the sacred scriptures, and original language into the common language of the people. The word Ecclesia was translated the word Kirch. And Kirch, and this is the Germanic derivation of it, doesn't that, don't you just sound smart when I say the Germanic derivation? How many of you guys think like, he memorized that all week, right? Okay. A church, and this is my definition, it's the institution of, the, of early Christianity. It had a place and a time and a people who meet at the place at the time as the people to do the stuff. They had a professional clergy. They had sacred buildings and almost no laity. In other words, they were, they were priestlies and they were commonlies. Priestlies were few, commonlies were large. They kind of took the Old Testament priesthood and the New Testament priesthood, they combined it, and what you end up with is people that are educated, know the scriptures in the original language, also the German language and other languages, and they are, they are like the people that do the stuff at the place at the time. Understand this, what Jesus calls a church is everybody who hears his voice and comes this way. What they were calling a church 
was also, it had been 1,500 years of institutionalization. And so when it was translated from ecclesia to, to whatever, it, they took the Germanic word kirch. So ecclesia is a divinely called people. A kirch is what men made out of that divine calling in the form of systems. Now you're probably by now going, okay, and, and I got to go back to work tomorrow, so speed it up. What, what are we talking about, right? Why is this important? Why is this important? It's very important because almost 2,000 years later after Jesus made his promise, many people settle for going to church, failing to ever experience the community of Ecclesia. You see why this is important? Come on, you got amen for everybody that's not here today. Good. There you go. Good. Let me shake my hanky. Woo. My, my senior pastor would go away sometimes, and I would be given... The, uh, the right as a youth pastor to preach on Sunday morning. Well, before they hit the recording button, I would grab a Kleenex. I said, now, before they hit the recording button, because all they recorded was the sermon, every time I wave my hanky, I want you guys to shout amen. So, so pastor thinks you like me more than you like him. It was hilarious. So nobody ever told him. And to this day, he thinks I'm a dynamic preacher. I'm not. I'm a kid with a hanky to this day, right? I think that's a problem, guys. I think, that's a, I think it's a huge problem. I think when once we institutionalize something that is supposed to be utterly relational amongst human beings with a divine relationship, we, we run into all sorts of problems. Like if you're not at the place at the time, even though there's sleet on the ground, you won't be able to live in the good neighborhood in heaven. We run into problems where, where people can become so dogmatic about things that Jesus never said mattered. Listen, you know what matters to Jesus? Ecclesia, people. <laughs> The institutions, how I many guys know there's no such thing that I'm aware of, maybe in Europe, but there's no such thing as a living church that's like 200, 300 years old. There's such a thing as 200, 300 year old buildings that are now museums. They were once mausoleums, but they're so pretty they decided to put artifacts in them and charge people to get in and see it. But they're not active, living, vibrant congregations. Why? Because once we trust the church, we won't even look for the ecclesia. And Jesus never promised to build a church, He promised to build an ecclesia. Let's take the worst case scenario. This is the end times and we're the last generation. Do you think this building will be open and accessible to everybody to worship really loudly? No. What will happen is we'll have to get into small groups and know each other well and trust each other like a lot of the world worships right now in China, in Vietnam, and other parts of the world, in Cuba. They're gathering friends that I know. People that, these are the stories I heard. These are people I know are gathering in sugarcane like silos where, where they can worship, you know, because they're double insulated and all that kind of stuff. They'll go in there after they spray them out and they'll bring in a candle and they'll all go in there and worship quietly. Why? Because they're afraid that if they're found as having an, you know, an underground church, the leadership will go to prison and they will. I have not yet met anybody who's in leadership in our fellowship that has not suffered greatly. Homes bulldozed, great shame, imprisonment, starvation. Why? Because they're afraid of people meeting together because they might overthrow us. Listen, that's what they say, but they're afraid because Jesus comes together in those meetings and the devil hates it. I want you to know something. The devil's not afraid of our building, but he is afraid of the ecclesia. And so this deception, it's, it's widespread. I mean, there's a day where, you know, you want to come to church? Well, I can't. Why? Because I don't have the right clothes. You go, do you think Jesus cares about people's clothing as much as he cares about people coming together? Do you think he cares about... Listen, it's all about this revelation. You are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. You're the, you're the son of the living God sent here to save us from our sins. There's three things you need to know today about what God means when he says church. Number one is this. When Jesus says church, he means a people that belong to him. And, and think about this. Jesus, and I'm going to paraphrase, I will build my church, a people. I will build a people that have been called out to belong to me. And again, are you listening to my heart? Don't just hear my words and judge them. Hear my heart. 
I have a concern as, as a pastor, as a spiritual servant in the house of God, I, I have a concern that, that we will compromise things that will, that will minimize that revelation of who Jesus is because we need more people to be here to make us feel like we're actually doing something. And if you look at what Jesus did, crowds would be gathered, and it's almost like as soon as there's a nice big crowd, what did Jesus often do? If you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, unless you're a cannibal with a bone through your nose, in violation of all Levitical law, you cannot follow me. And they go, well, okay. He was cool yesterday, and not today, and they left in multitudes. Even the disciples were tempted to leave. What is he doing? He's saying, listen, unless there's a revelation of who I am, and I can say anything because you know me, even though you don't understand me, it will not be an ecclesia. It'll just be a gathering of people that are going to church. You hear what I'm saying? I, th I think we've got to be careful in our own hearts what we're doing here today. Why are we here? And it seems odd because I'm here because I risked my life and now you're yelling at me. No, no. I, I think, I hope that what we're doing here is we're here because Jesus is building us into something. We're people that have been called out of something, out of somewhere, to, be, to become something we could have never been on our own, even with him. That we're, we're called people. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, man, come to me. You're weary, you're heavy laden, come to me. There's this ongoing coming, come to me, come to me. John 3, 3, a man can't see the kingdom of heaven unless he's born again. Well, where do you get born again? Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Paul says, ask, you know, all you got to do is like everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then Mark tells us that the greatest commandment, Mark 12, 29, is, is what we're we supposed to do with the rest of our life. Well, love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Why? Because he's saved you. There's this revelation that I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. There's this revelation of who Jesus is, not just, I like the songs, I like the people, I want my kids to be raised in church. You hear what I'm saying? Let me tell you something, parents. Your children need a firsthand revelation of God. They, they don't need a handed down tradition of, of church. And let me be very careful because I, I think it's important for us to have our children where they can find Jesus, which is in church. But I'd also say this, just because you raise them in church, remember, you need to raise them to have a faith of their own, not the faith of their fathers. It doesn't matter what this church believes. It matters what your kid believes when they go off to the Marine Corps. It doesn't matter what this pastor believes. It doesn't matter what you believe. What matters is when they go off to college, when they go off to the university, when they go off to work in the factory, when they go off to work in the fields, when they are outside of your care and, and your authority, they must have a personal revelation of who Jesus is that, that grounds them. Or what ends up happening is everybody else's ideas sound just as good as yours, and I can get hammered doing it. Don't even get me started on the philosophy teachers. The second thing you need to know, when Jesus says church, he, he's, he means a people that belong to each other. And this is something else that we have to be very careful of because, yeah, I belong to Jesus. I, I said the prayer. I, I know him. I had a revelation. I worshiped him just now. I feel him in my heart. That's great. That's what Jesus means when he says church. When he says ecclesia, it means people have been called out of something into himself. They, they've been drawn to him. But it also means this. There's an expectation that we don't just belong to him. We belong to each other. All men will know you're my disciples if you go to church every Sunday. Is that what it says? All men will know you're my disciples if you give 10% of your gross income. All, all men will know you're my disciples if your kids are raised in Sunday school with flannel graphs in the basement on metal chairs. Is that what it says? All men will know that you are my disciples if what one thing happens? If we love each other. There is a calling not just to him. There's a calling by him to us. 
to outsiders becoming insiders, to outlaws becoming in-laws, to, to strangers becoming friends and friends becoming family. We see this in John chapter 13, verse 34. He says, he says I'm going to give you a new commandment. Here we go. Are you ready? It's a new one. We haven't done this yet, but here's a new one. By the way, this time tomorrow I'll be dead. <laughs> so this is kind of a big deal, right? Here it is. You guys need to start loving each other. I command you to love each other. How, to what, what degree? As I have loved you, as I've treated you, as I've been kind to you, patient with you, gentle with you, as I've taught you, as I've instructed you, as I've disciplined you, rebuked you, as I've done miracles that you needed to be done in your life, as I have been loving you, you are to begin now, from this point forward, loving each other. You look at, at John chapter 17, verse 21, his last prayer in peace before his arrest, his execution, and his resurrection, he says, my prayer, Father, is this. I don't just pray for these guys that are right here that are hearing me pray right now. I pray for all those who believe because of their message. Jesus' final prayer in peace, you know who it was for? It's for us. And my prayer is that they would be one. That they would be one in me and I would be in you. You in them, me in you. I just, it's like the triune God being like the triune us. I want us all to be together. Now, you're a, you're a father, most of you. You're a mother, most of you. You have siblings. You understand that I am as a family. The only thing that can make Christmas sad is to have Christmas alone. The only thing that can make Easter sad is to have no kids to lie to about bunnies. The only thing that can make a birthday sad is it's you at Applebee's getting your free dessert alone. Jesus says, listen, I, you need to belong to each other. And if they belong to no one, they're widows, they're orphans, everybody, they belong to everybody. Not just the responsibility of food, not just the responsibility of clothing or care, but, but you need to love, care for the needs, the body, soul, and spiritual needs of widows and orphans. What, so people who don't belong to anybody, they belong to everybody in the church. In Jesus' ecclesia, we have a responsibility to each other. Acts 2.44, one of these scriptures that you kind of go, wow, I, I don't even think I'm saved sometimes when I read things like this. But the early church, they had everything in common. If anybody had any need, somebody who had 10 of something, sold five of them and gave the, the, the five away to the people that didn't have. They didn't have a cloak, didn't have food, didn't have a place to stay. Everybody said, no, no, you're all my brothers and sisters now. I, I take personal responsibility for the care of the ecclesia of God. Now, how many of you guys know you, you got to wring money out of people that go to church? Because they say, well, what's the least I can give before I'm in trouble with God? So, well, you know, it's 10% of your gross income called a tithe. And if you don't tithe, then your kids will be born bullied and it's your fault because, you know. And we have, we have different thoughts on tithing. But I would say this. I think whenever the law requires or love requires, love always leads us to things that law can never get us to even begin to do. If that building's on fire across the street and somebody's in there and you don't care about them, but the law is you got to go in there and die with them, people say, well, wait a minute. Is there really sick? Can you prove it? What's the least I can do before I'm in trouble? But if your kid's in there and you love your kid, you go in there and die with them so they don't have to die alone. Why? Because love will make you do things that law never can. Right? And so they just did stuff that law never required. <laughs> the law didn't say, now sell everything you have and give it to the poor. The law never said that. But Jesus said it on multiple occasions. Why? Because this is a kingdom whose currency is love. Love for each other. And so these things were asked of everybody. And the third thing, well, here it is. I will build a people that have been called out to belong to each other. And the third thing is this. When Jesus says church, he means a people that belong to a lost world. And I, I, I want to say this to you. I'm going to use a word that's not popular, and yet I'm going to use it. So, again, will you judge my heart? And not just my words. If there's manipulation in me, then ignore everything I'm saying. But I'm going to use the word responsibility. The ecclesia has a responsibility to God, true or false? 
the ecclesia has a responsibility to one another, true or false. And the ecclesia has a responsibility to a lost world. Because of our heart for God, because of our, the, the power that comes from the unity amongst us, there really is no excuse to not have a broken heart for things that break God's heart. Listen, I may not like the same things my, my wife likes, but if it breaks her heart, it breaks mine. I might have the same needs my wife has, but if it's her need, out of relationship, somehow I, I want to meet that need or facilitate the meeting of that need. Why? Because there's relationship, and I love her. Does this make sense? Same thing's true. Does God have a broken heart about the lost? Man, read Luke chapter 15. The lost coin, the, the, the lost uh, you know, son, the, you know, the prodigal son, the lost sheep. These parables tell us that God is more excited about one coming home than he is about 99 sheep walking around eating and making you know, raisinets. Why? Because his heart is with the one. And if his heart is with the one and we claim to love him, how many of you guys know there should be some eventual fruitfulness of his broken heart through our broken heart into a world that desperately needs ambassadors sent by Christ with a message of reconciliation? And I will use the word again. It is our responsibility. Now, the government should do something about that. The government has a responsibility based on our tax dollars and how much money they can print on any given day. We have a responsibility based on the responsibility delegated to us as ambassadors sent from another world to this world to bring salt and light. We have a responsibility. And I'd say this too. Sometimes you're like, well, you know, you talk about responsibility and my life's so full already. Then let me tell you this. I would say this. The greatest joys of my life are when I take responsibility for what Jesus has put in my hands. When I love my wife as Christ loved the church, my day is better, not worse. When I love my children, I raise them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. My life is better because of the obedience to that scripture than if I had just said, well, you know, kids are kids. They got to learn. Stick your tongue in the light socket. You'll be fine. You know what I mean? I'm glad that I've obeyed every word that I've been able by the grace of God to obey. How about you? Because obedience produces fruitfulness and disobedience produces fruitfulness. The more I can obey, the more fruit that looks like heaven appears in my life. The more I disobey, the more fruit that looks like hell appears in my life. So I'm telling you guys, listen, you say, well, responsibility. The greatest joys of life are when we do what he's told us to do. When we go where he's told us to go, where he sends us, we, we go. We are Christ's ambassadors. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Therefore, go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I'll be with you to the very end of the age. I'm not going anywhere. I'm in the midst of it. You're on my team. I'm, I'm, I'm fighting with you, not against you. It's us against the world, literally. And the joys of my life come from leaps of faith and standing in unpopular stances and knowing that I'm right with God, even if it ticks men off. But knowing that I'm right with God. Let me tell you something. When I know I'm right with God, I am as bold as a lion. And when I think I'm not right with God, why? Because if I'm on God's side, I am infinite through my smallness being multiplied by infinity, which is Christ. But if I'm not on his side, then all I got is what I got and stuff gets scary. Mark 16, 15, preach the gospel to all creation. This is the commandments of the Lord. Let me wrap it up. Piano guy, join me. Unless it's a piano girl, then you can join me too. When Jesus says church, he means a people that belong to a lost world. I will build a people who carry my call to come out of and my call to come into to the nations. Greatest joys of my life. I'm not kidding you. Oh, it sounds like a sacrifice. It does until you do it. Then it's the greatest thing you've ever done. Be obedient to God. Let me land the plane. As Jesus' church, we have a responsibility. We say responsibility. No more like the, the S word or the A word. This is the R word. 
right? We have a responsibility to what? We have a responsibility to God. We have a responsibility to each other. We have a responsibility to mankind. Now, are those statements true or false? Okay. So let me ask you one last question. Did you come to church today? Like if this was a really nice day in the middle of summer and you had a boat and you lived down the lake and you didn't come to church today, I would have had so much more fun saying what I just said. You watch it later on in the week. But it isn't. It's like the frozen chosen that, that risked their lives to be here today. God bless you for doing so. But even in a crowd like this or a crowd like us watching on live stream, like let's ask ourselves a really serious question. Why are we coming here? What's the motivation? Why, why do we go to a life group? Or why, why don't we go to a life group? Why do we give? Why do we serve? Or why don't we give? Why don't we serve? And I think you have to be very careful because Jesus never promised to build a church. His, his blessings are just not on it. And what is built by man must be sustained by man. And that's why there's so many empty churches. But what's built by God is sustained by God. And that's why the church of the living God is strong, as strong as it's ever been in the world today. Why? Because it's built on a personal revelation of who he is, not built on the music platform or the lighting or is the pastor funny or do I feel comfortable with the demographic, the type of people, the age of the people, the socioeconomic status of the people. Like The reasons we go to church, guys, listen, there's one church that, that belongs to Jesus. It meets everywhere all the time. It, ha- it meets at the shop on Monday. Monday. It beats in the sewing circle on Tuesday. It walks around VGs. I've even heard some people pray at the DMV. At least they said the word Jesus over and over and over again. So maybe, you know what I mean? Where two or more gather together in my name, Jesus says, I'm right there in the middle of it. That's the church. That's the ecclesia. And I just, I just want to call you to an understanding to grow beyond this thought that if I go to church on Sunday and I sing the song and I give the offering and I go to the iGrow and I go to the life group, those are all, those are all churches, church-ish things that, that can lead us to an ecclesia understanding But don't confuse life group with ecclesia. Whether or not it's ecclesia is up to the people that attend the life group. Whether or not this is ecclesia is up to those who gather. So if I gotta have a tiger on the platform this week to get you to come and bring your friends, and I gotta have a lion next week, and I gotta have a fire-breathing dragon a month from now, you just understand, like, well, it really, it probably isn't an ecclesia because we're not rallying around Christ, we're rallying around the entertaining show and the religious preferences or even the religious dependencies, because I can't worship that kind of music. I can't hear that kind of preacher. I can't, unless there's this happening or that not happening, I can't go to, it's like, people worshiped in prison (laughs) with their backs filleted, with their hands and their feet in stocks in the middle of the night, slated for execution. But that light hit me right in the eyes, and it just makes me so mad. I'm just like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) Guys, hear me. Let's be very careful in our hearts. Have you come here because you're following Jesus here? Are you a part of the Freedom Center because there's a love for people that that you can connect with in a group setting so that you can express your love for people individually but also in a smaller group, also corporately? Are you here because you, you have this sense that God wants me here because there's lost people and I have a responsibility to be in fellowship, to lead people into discipling relationships, to, to be Christ's ambassador, to represent, not be a representative of his morality, but to represent Jesus himself by the power of the Holy Spirit, founded on the principles and the truths of his word, the commandments of his word. I can stand on this and say, I'm here to be in your life what Jesus would be in your life. I'm not Jesus, but I am Christ-like 
And if you'll follow me as I follow Christ, eventually we're going to both see him. So it's the first of multiple weeks. But that's the question I think we should ask. Did you come to church today? Or did you come as Ecclesia? Stand to your feet, please, all over this room. One of the things we can do as the Ecclesia with his presence around. How yeah, many guys know if Jesus shows up, he always brings his stuff? I don't know who's not here or who's here today, but we do have an altar team. I'm going to ask the altar team to step out and come up here. There's one of the things we like to do, and, and maybe if there's not enough people for the altar team, we'll start inviting staff members. Is there anybody from the altar team that's here today? You got enough faith to pray for the sick, but not to come to church during a snowstorm. Is that what I'm hearing? No, Kenny, it's a joke. Like Pastor Pat lives out in, in where is it, like the far side of Argentine, almost Byron. We got one? You better have a lot of faith, Chris. All right, staff members, deacons, if you're here, come up here as well today. FCMA, come up here as well today. Um, this is what I want you to do. One of the things we get to do because, you know, if you're here because of Ecclesia, if you showed up and two more gathered together in his name, then guess who else is here? He promised. He doesn't promise to ever go to Kirch. He can go there if the Ecclesia shows up in a building at a certain time in a certain place. But we can believe God for miracles today. Amen. We can believe God for, for lost loved ones coming home. We can believe for breakthrough. We can believe for all kinds of stuff. Why? Because if two or more have gathered together in his name, then Jesus says, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in this. I'm in. I'm not outside waiting. I'm in. If you came here for the right reasons, he came here for the right reasons with you. And I believe with all my heart, man, God wants to do so much. Close your eyes right now, please. Father, I pray that you do so much. Do so much. All that is in your heart. Man, I, I can't even begin to imagine. I didn't... Dina's favorite scripture, that whatever I could imagine, it's exceedingly and abundantly above it. All I could ask, all I think, all, all I could imagine, nations and revivals and miracles and healings and signs and wonders and prodigals coming home, and this is all in your heart. If this thing we, we know as the Freedom Center devolves into Kirch, then this building will be used as a warehouse for the automotive industry soon. But if this thing that we know is the Freedom Center is an ecclesia, then you will always be where we gather. For we gather in your name, under your hand, in your power, in your love, by your grace. Today, if you're here and you're not right with God, I got good news for you. Jesus is here. If you need mercy, ask him for it. You need a clean slate, a fresh start. That's what that whole dying on the cross thing was about. It wasn't Jesus being punished for what he did or said. It wasn't the co-conspirators coming together to somehow, you know, pervert God's will and execute his son. Jesus was born to die as a sacrifice for my sins. The righteous anger and indignation of God had to be put somewhere. It could have been put on me, and God still would have been the righteous God that he is. But Jesus dove between God's judgment and my forehead you be honest with yourself. There's lots of times you should have died before now. Why are you still here? How come you made it when others didn't? It's because I believe God has a, a will for your life. There's a destiny. There's a calling. There's a mercy, and it's here now for you. If you're not right with God, ask him, Jesus, forgive me. Show me who you are. You need a miracle today. You need breakthrough. We're small today. I mean, compared to whatever. We're, we're smaller than we were last week. Smaller than we'll probably be next week. But understand this. God doesn't care how many people are there as long as there's agreement between those that are there. If you believe that God does miracles and you need one in a moment, I'm going to ask you to come and be prayed for. You need a breakthrough. You believe that God is the God of breakthrough and you need a breakthrough. I'm going to ask you to come forward in a moment. 
If you prayed that prayer today, God, I need mercy. You just want to talk to somebody like, what's next? I'm going to invite you to come forward in a moment. Father, I pray that our hearts would be moved. Though we be small in number, we are mighty through Christ. Miracles are in this house right now. We need to be asked for. So we are going to ask you. You will build your ecclesia. May our hearts never be confused about what that means. And may we always be those who follow that voice, that calling. It's not one time. It's those who will follow wherever you stop and gather people. May we stop and gather with you. And right now is one of those times, one of those places. So we ask, God, give us courage. Give us faith. Help us to trust people again if we stopped. Because we do need miracles in this house. Thank you for your generosity today. In Jesus' name, amen. You need a miracle today. You need breakthrough, whatever, all these things we talked about. When I say go, you'll come forward for prayer. You're like, ah, I don't know if I'm going to do this. Just do it. If you want, is there any inkling in you to want to? That's not the devil. <laughs> That's not Satan's voice. That's probably your flesh feeling embarrassed. And maybe it's time not just to embarrass our flesh, but to crucify it. So if you need prayer this morning, I encourage you to come forward. If not, head out the doors. If we haven't met, I'll meet you back in the green room in a while. Hang out for a while. Meantime, God bless you, keep you, love you. See you next week or sooner. You're dismissed.